Jesus has the right. He has the right to create unity, to insist on unity, the right to distribute gifts to us, the right to distribute gifted men to the whole church, the right to rule his church. He has the right. And he has the right because he purchased it at the cross. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part two of The Church According to Jesus. John Calvin wrote, No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. Indeed, you might say there are no islands in the Christian faith. Believers need each other. Your gifts aren't for you. They're meant to benefit the church. But how do you practically use your gifts? Well, today, Tom will explore five practical ways you can use and grow your God-given gifts. And as you'll be reminded today, if you're a believer, you have a gift, and Christ gave you that gift to use, and he gave you that gift to use in his church. Let's join Tom Pennington right now as we learn more from God's Word on The Word Unleashed. So, we have to understand then that to each one there has been given these spiritual gifts. There are temporary sign gifts and there are permanent edifying gifts. You say, well, how many of the 18 gifts listed in those two lists are permanent? Well, we can't be absolutely certain of that, but when you look at the, the, the confirming signs the apostles demonstrated, when you look at the evidence, four of them, I think, were probably sign gifts. And again, that's a different message for a different time, but two of them occur in both lists. So when you put it all together, that means probably about 12 of the spiritual gifts listed are probably permanent, and they may not be exhaustive. Many scholars believe that this isn't like an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. In other words, these 12 permanent gifts only give us a kind of glimpse of the potential diversity that exists. But even if there are only 12 permanent gifts, the potential diversity for the church is huge because those 12 permanent gifts become a kind of divine palette. It's not like God gives me one of those 12 and gives you another of those 12 and another person another one of those 12. Instead, for every one of us, God takes, as it were, that divine palette with 12 unique gifts on it with 12 gifts on it, and he mixes from those 12 a unique blending for every person. That's why it's really more accurate to talk about our spiritual gifting than our spiritual gift, because each one of us is gifted with a unique blend. I've used the illustration before of oil painting. Oil painting is a, is a kind of hobby, isn't one I've had the chance to engage in much recently, but many years ago I took a series of courses on oil painting. And um, in the process of that, I took one course on color, understanding color. Maybe you know this and understand this, but it was fascinating to me at the time that there are three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow. Now, what's interesting about those primary colors is that none of those three can be mixed from other colors. 
You can't blend other colors and come up with any one of those three. They can only be derived from the substances in which they are inherent. And if you have those three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow, you can create the entire range of tone and color. Every color and shade and hue you see can be created from those three primary colors. Think about that. God only had three primary colors to make all the variations of color and tone that your eye sees. Imagine the potential diversity of spiritual gifts when God has 12 primary gifts to blend in every Christian, a nearly infinite variety. And to each one of us, God has given that kind of capacity. There's one more way I wanna break down the gifts. Of those permanent edifying gifts, Peter does us the further service of breaking those permanent gifts into two categories. Everybody here can fall into one of these categories. There are, according to 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. That means that ultimately there are only three possibilities. Either you have a speaking gift, and a speaking gift can be private exhortation where you're talking to one person and exhorting them to do the right thing, to public speaking. And there are you may have a serving gift. So there's a speaking gift or a serving gift, or you may have a combination of speaking and serving gifts. I believe in my own case that to some degree there's a combination of administration on the serving side and speaking, teaching God's Word on the speaking side. Now you say, well, that's great. I'm glad you know, Tom, but how can I know? That's a question a lot of people have. How can I discover my own spiritual gift? Let me just leave this, or touch on this before I leave this point. You need to understand that it's not hidden. God has no interest in hiding your spiritual gift from you. It's not like a game of hide and seek with God. There are some practical steps that you can take to discern where your special capacity to serve God lies. Let me give them to you very quickly. Number one, study what Scripture teaches about the gifts. Study these passages that I'm commenting on this morning. Think about them, meditate on them. Number two, pray for God's direction. Ask God to make it clear to you in his providence over time. Number three, assess your own desires, strengths, and weaknesses. Number four, seek the wisdom and confirmation of others. Ultimately, the rest of the church is responsible to help evaluate your giftedness. You may think you're gifted in a certain way, and the people around you may graciously try to direct you someplace else. And number five, just faithfully serve. Just faithfully serve. You see, we tend, when we get busy, to gravitate to the area of our gifts. I mean, think about your physical body for a moment. Your heart did not have to fill out a three-page personality profile to figure out the role it plays in the body. It just functions involuntarily. God made it that way. And the same thing is true with our spiritual gifts. God placed us in the body, and when we get busy, when we get involved, when we get active, over time, our giftedness becomes clear, and we gravitate toward that function God made us to do. It's not rocket science. Why did you get your unique spiritual giftedness? 
Why? Look at verse seven again. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Why is it that you received your gift and not what someone else has? It's in those few words at the end of verse seven. According to the measure of Christ's gift. You have the gift you have because Christ measured it out to you. He not only determined your gift, he determined the amount of gifting you would have. Christ in his infinite wisdom gave you precisely the giftedness he thought you needed to have and to use for the opportunities he was going to set before you. By the way, the New Testament constantly makes this point. So important to grasp this. Romans 12.3 puts it like this. Paul says, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each the measure of faith. God decided the gift you would have and the amount of gifting you would have. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the same Spirit distributes to each one individually just as he wills. It's his decision. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. 1 Corinthians 12, 24, God has composed the body. One of my favorite texts on this issue, and I really don't have time to do this, but let's do it anyway. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 4, verses 4 through 7. This is so foundational. Paul, as he begins to deal with the problems with spiritual gifts in Corinth, he's ultimately going to get to the abuse of tongues. But he begins by laying a, a larger foundation about the issue of gifts. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. In other words, the Spirit determine the character of your gift. Verse 5. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. In other words, Jesus Christ determined the context in which you would use your gifts. Verse 6, there are varieties of effects or results, but the same God who works all things and all persons. In other words, God sovereignly determined not only what your gift would be, not only how you would use that gift in what context in the church, but even determined what the results would be, what the effects of it would be. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God determined the gift you would have, how you would use that gift, and even what the results would be. But God's sovereignty doesn't undermine human responsibility. God determined, Christ determined what you would have, but that doesn't mean you sit tight and do nothing. There are some things that we have to do related to spiritual gifts. Again, briefly, let me give you a little checklist. Here's what you need to do in reference to your gift. Number one, the church is responsible to evaluate a person's giftedness. I've already mentioned this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, Paul says, Do not lay hands on anyone too hastily. Determine what their gifts are. Determine if they're gifted. Number two, you can and should progress in the gift God has given you. You should show progress. 
You don't just say, oh, well, you know, God hasn't given me much, so I'm not going to do much with it. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. You work on improving your career. How hard are you working on improving your spiritual gift? 1 Peter 4.10 says, we are to use our gifts as good stewards. Number three, you should soberly evaluate how your giftedness fits into the body. Soberly evaluate how your giftedness fits into the body. Romans 12.3 says, everybody ought to think not more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to have sound judgment. Why does Paul say that in the reference to spiritual gifts? Because when it comes to our view of spiritual gifts, there are two extremes. They're the same two extremes that were in Corinth. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians 12, and we had time to work our way through that passage, you will find there were two different groups. There was one group in Corinth saying, woe is me, I have a measly, miserly gift, not much to do, not much to offer. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, in Paul's analogy of the human body, the foot decides, I've got a bad deal here. My role is inferior. I want to be the hand. We're all tempted, aren't we, to consider our own giftedness and to look at somebody else's and to be discontent? Why didn't I get that role? Why don't I get to do that? The other extreme in Corinth is another sinful reaction we have, and that is to look at our own giftedness and consider ourselves superior to others. In Corinth, you remember, in 1 Corinthians 12, the head decides, you know what, I am so good, I don't need the feet. They can just go away as far as I'm concerned. I'm superior. We can be tempted to think that about our gift as well. We can be tempted to think that our gift is superior in kind. In other words, the kind of gift we have, maybe a teaching gift, is more superior, is superior to that of a serving gift. It's a real temptation in a teaching church like ours to look down on the serving gifts. In Corinth, they tended to look down on all the non-tongues gifts, you remember? We can also be tempted to think our gift is superior in quality. You have a gift, someone else is using that same gift, and what do you do? You kind of sit back and critique how they're doing. Well, I would do it differently if I were doing that. This is the temptation we all face. Listen, to each one of us, grace was given according to the way Christ measured it out. That means if you are uniquely gifted... There should be no pride because you had nothing to do with it. That's what God sovereignly determined. He could have put you as the little toe, as the pancreas. But he decided to give you an elevated, visible role. On the other hand, if you find yourself less spiritually gifted, the knowledge that it was God's sovereign choice should erase absolutely every tendency to be discontent and to look at yourself with some spiritual Eeyore complex. Oh, well, this is what God gave me. I, I guess I'll just do it. 
Listen, each one of us has received a unique capacity for service in the church measured out to us by God's wise and sovereign hand, and we are to respond with gratitude and faithfulness. Now, as you look back at verse 7, Ephesians 4, ask yourself, what's the purpose? We've been given, all of us, this special capacity to serve, unique to us. What's the purpose of Christ's gift? Well, the immediate purpose of the gifts is found in verse 12, the work of service. We're going to examine that in detail, Lord willing, next week. But obviously, the point is that we are to use our gift in serving the rest of the church. Other New Testament texts make the same point. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God didn't give you that gift so you could make a name for yourself, so other people would think you're great. God gave you that giftedness for the good of his church. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. John Calvin writes, no member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. There are no islands in the Christian faith. We need each other. Your gifts aren't for you. They're meant to edify the entire church. So the immediate purpose of spiritual gifts is to serve the church. But the ultimate purpose is found at the end of verse 10. So that he, that is Christ, might fill all things. You see, Christ's condescension to earth, his ascension, and his giving of gifts to us were all intended to do just one thing, to exalt him to exalt him until he fills everything in the universe with his presence and he rules everything in the universe with his sovereign power. Peter puts the ultimate purpose of spiritual gifts like this in 1 Peter 4. He says, as each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, so that for this goal, for this purpose, in all things, that is, as every member functions as it should, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, when each of us uses the gifts God has given us, and when others see the church working together in unity, it causes them to think more highly of God. Proper exercise of our gifts gives glory to God. When something works together, when a number of parts function together for a beautiful whole, it brings glory to the one who created it. I thought of that as I watched that magnificent opening ceremony of the Summer Olympics. We watched thousands of people in concert providing that great spectacle. What happened in your own mind when you saw that? you thought, wow, what kind of person could have pulled that off and pulled that together, directed that? And that's exactly what happens when the church functions as it should. It brings glory to our God. So the first part of the plan is this. Christ distributes spiritual gifts to the church. Now, let me give you several practical principles that flow from that first part of the plan. Here's what you can do with this this week. I want you to listen carefully. 
Here's the application. Number one, determine to use your gift in the church as the channel through which your service to God flows. That's what Christ intended. If you're a believer, you have a gift, and Christ gave you that gift to use, and he gave you that gift to use in his church. Christ only promised to build one organization, one institution. It's the church. And he gave you a gift for the good of the church, the people around you. If you aren't using, can I put it this bluntly? If you're sitting here this morning and you're the kind of Christian who comes and leaves, comes and leaves, comes and leaves, then you are sinning against the Lord of the church. Because he didn't create you and gift you in order for you to keep it to yourself. He intended that that spiritual gift he gave you at the moment of salvation be used for the good of the church. So start using your gift and serving your fellow believers here. If you have a speaking gift, there are plenty of places to use that. From our children's ministry, our Sunday school, private encouragement, Bible studies, there are lots of places. If it's serving, there are countless ministries in this church that are waiting for you to serve. But use your gift. Christ gave you that gift for the good, for the common good, Paul says, for the profit of everyone else. It isn't yours to keep and hide and do nothing with. Number two, develop a constant awareness that God is sovereign in the gift you have, the context in which you use it, and the results. God is sovereign over all those things. Don't take any credit. It's God's doing. Number three, learn to value the diversity that Christ has placed in his church. Be thankful everybody isn't exactly like you. Be thankful not everybody here is a mouth. Be thankful not everybody here is a hand. God designed the body to be Distinct to each part, have its own role, value that diversity. Number four, don't become proud because your gift is more visible, and don't become discontent if your gift is less visible. Jesus Christ himself determined that. Number five, and this is so important, don't mistake the use of your gift with personal holiness. Don't mistake the use of your gift with personal holiness. You see, you can be spiritually gifted and be a help to many Christians and not be growing in personal holiness. The Corinthians are a great example. The Corinthians were allowing incest. They were, there were drunken brawls at the Lord's table. There was petty infighting. But in 1 Corinthians 1.7, Paul says they were not lacking in any gift. At the same time, Paul says in chapter 3, Brethren, I could not address you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as babes in Christ. Listen, you can use your gift well, and people can be helped. People may say, you have benefited me, you have encouraged me, you have strengthened me, and yet your own personal holiness, be it of low ebb, don't mistake the two. 
God can use your giftedness very effectively and you not be what you should be before him. This, by the way, explains why some pastor can get up and be involved in some terrible sin in his own personal life and people still benefit because God is using that giftedness. As I often tell pastors when I speak to them and make this point, listen, God once spoke very effectively through a donkey. Number six, and finally, determine to use your gift to build up your fellow believers and to glorify your Lord. That's why God gave it to you. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, The Church According to Jesus. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.